Have you ever thought about signing up for coaching but weren't quite sure what it would look like? Or have you been trying to coach yourself but you don't know what you might or might not need to include? If so, you're not alone. I get a lot of questions about my coaching process. Like, what does it look like? What do you do? What do you include? And as I say in the preamble, it's always been a difficult question for me to answer. Not because I don't have a system, but because there's just a lot going on in my head when it comes to coaching someone. So I decided, hey, let's just record an episode about all the things I consider when it comes to coaching and what it might look like if you wanted to work with me. Now, before we get into it, I wanted to say I throw around a lot of terms like VO2 max and critical speed and lactate threshold, and I don't spend a lot of time defining these. Further, Depending on your athletic history or your specific definition of these metrics, some of them may be more or less the same. So I'm going to release a quick follow-up episode about what some of those things mean, and more importantly, what I mean by them. If you want that faster, then head to the Facebook group and the video should be up by the time this episode drops. Finally, I wanted to let you know that I'm offering a free coaching consultation with me if you're interested. So keep an ear out for that at about the three and a half minute mark for how to apply and we'll set it up. You don't have to do anything, you just have to shoot me a message and we'll get it on the calendar. All that said, let's get into the episode. Welcome to the Trail and Ultra Running Training Podcast. My name is Will Franz and I'm here to help you improve your training so you can have more fun out on the trails. We are live. Let's talk about my coaching process. I get a few questions fairly regularly about how I coach athletes or what I do or what these things look like. And so I figured I'd just tell you. As of now, June 2023, this is what it looks like. And I'll tell you, this is not exactly what it looked like a year ago. I'm constantly learning and shifting and trying to dial it in. Like as of two weeks ago, I added something new to my assessment process, which we'll talk about. Um, I'm currently taking a uh, course on sports psychology, and I'm sure that's going to make its way in as well. Every good coach spends time on continuing education. As a result, like the process changes as time goes on. So that's the thing. But I will say that this is the basic structure has always been the same, and it's just getting more and more fine-tuned as we move through the months and the years. So before we get started, I just want to say I'm about to drop a lot on here, which is why I'm going to like have some notes to go off of, um, probably more than I have been the past few of these. And I just wanted to do it justice and make sure that everything stayed in my brain as much as possible. And I, it's always kind of a tough question for me to answer when someone asks how I coach people. Because if I'm going to give you the honest response, it takes a while. There are a lot of different aspects to juggle and a lot of different stuff when it comes to training. So I figured I would just do one of these, the podcast or Facebook Live, wherever you're watching this. And I will give you as much information as I can because I want to be transparent. And again, it's quite a bit. So I figured I would also offer you something as well. If you were hearing this before June 18th, which is Father's Day in the U.S., and you reach out to me, I will schedule you for a free coaching consultation. 
I got into fitness because of my dad. He taught me to lift when I was in third grade. He always supported my goofy exploits through sports. And I became a personal trainer largely because he died seven years ago. And without going into like detailed stories that would probably make me tear up, he is the reason I do why I, what I do and why I'm really any good at it at all. So since he is not around for me to honor in person, I'm going to do it in spirit. So either drop a comment below or text me. Do not call. It will go to spam. Um, but text me at 505-702-6192. And you and I will set up a time to go over your training. Anything you want help with, we'll talk about. For as long as you need. That could be 30 minutes, could be two hours. Contact me and I will give you a free coaching consultation where we'll do a deep dive on your training. Um, I usually charge for this. Um, you will not get the typical follow-up that would come with that, but we can spend as much time as you want talking about it. And then we can see if you need to, if you want to make any adjustments from running to strength to food to hydration to whatever. So free consult, text me or drop a comment, and we'll make that happen. Now, let's talk about how I coach people. Once someone signs up with me, one of the first things we're going to do is set up a time for a video call where I'm going to have you do a series of movements so I can see how you move and get an idea of what your like muscle balance or imbalance is. Um, I used to have people record videos. Now I do it live because I can get a lot more information. We'll do things like a squat test. I want to see your squat depth if you don't get very deep without you know, driving forward into your toes or like losing connection, probably means that your posterior chain isn't as strong as you want it to be. I'll see your one leg squat test. This often shows me whether your knee is gonna cave in or out, and it'll show me kind of what your stability and balance is, adductor strength, etc. We'll do a wall test, grab you up on a wall and slide up and down. This will show me a couple things, including your upper back, engagement, and it's also going to show me whether you can connect to your lower abdomen because I'm going to have you press your lower back into the wall. I'm going to do an ankle te flexion test. I want to see how much your knee can track over your toes because if you have no ankle flexion and you're trying to drive uphill, you're going to end up in nothing but your calves, so I care that you can bend your ankle a bit. Hurdle step, I want to see how high you can get your knee up because that shows me some activity on your psoas, and then a windmill for things like hamstring engagement, oblique engagement, and just general ability to do a complex movement. And then a thing I'm also adding as of a couple weeks ago is a single leg deadlift. Just took a new course and I've been implementing it over the last couple weeks because it shows me a lot about your gait cycle. And if you're running something like a trail or an ultra, your gait cycle kind of, matter, kind of matters because you're going to be doing thousands and thousands of steps, even more than the people I train in person, right? So I've added that as well, and we can analyze that. So we're also going to discuss some deeper things like diet and life and whatever, right? So all the stuff that affects your training that we don't generally think of as training. So like sleep, if you only get four hours a night, we should probably talk about that because I need to know more about you if I'm going to be a good coach for you. Then, after we have that conversation for a week, you're probably gonna feel like I'm not doing very much. And I'm honest with, the, with everybody while having the conversation, um, but I wanna see what your training actually looks like. So I hook you up to my Training Peaks account, and then 
I see what you actually run in a week because the amount of times I've had someone tell me like I run 40 to 45 miles per week uh, when we hook you up to training peaks it often turns more into 30 because I'm scheduled to run 40 to 45 miles a week is not always what happens when life happens so that is what tends to go on there so at the end of the first week I've seen how you move I've seen your real running volume I've seen a good amount of your intensity and I've spent time creating your first phase of your strength program we discussed diet and sleep and injury history and all sorts of stuff right so like that's kind of where we are and this is because I really care about the assessment process and I think this is where a lot of programs I don't know for lack of a better word right fall apart they drop you straight into training without even seeing where you are and if you're running 20 miles a week and we drop you into a 40 mile a week ultra program whatever you're going to get hurt um, if we don't see where your movement is now then we don't really want to give you a strength program because we might just be reinforcing movement patterns you don't really want for example if your knees cave in when you squat and we load you with heavy squats we're just going to keep fostering that movement pattern on your squat we want to make sure we do a bunch more like single leg stuff and like a sumo deadlift to get your ab abductors firing more and get your glute meat up so we need to see where you are in order to create the path to where you want to go and to be clear like the assessment's never really over you're, you're constantly analyzing and tweaking and making adjustments um, and on that note like the second week of work are actually going to get a running program rolling but we're going to see some more assessments there at least in theory depending how far away you are from your race if you come to me with like two months to a hundred miler like it's questionable whether we'll even go through with it but if we do we're probably going to skip this step but i like to run two tests here i'm going to have you like race quote you know a mile and race a 10k and then we will talk about that see what your paces were see how they felt and i do these two because short of being there and strapping you up to like a bunch of equipment that i don't have access to the mile provides a decent indicator of a pace for vo2 max workouts it also shows me if you have a decent neuromuscular drive because if you're clipping along at like it's a five six minute mile we know you have a lot of power and speed we also know that your vo2 max is pretty capable certainly capable enough for anything you'd need in the ultra world right so this is why we go through that because for something like the mile or even the 5k cardiovascularly your limiter is going to be vo2 max a lot of the time the 10k is going to give me a decent indicator of your lactate threshold pace because unless you're a professional athlete which means you're probably not talking to me then your 10k is going to take like 40 to 80 minutes and that's kind of the range we're looking for when it comes to maintaining a good pace for lactate threshold and this can help with like this can help our direct our speed work right so this might not be exactly the paces you're going to hit on training because if you need to do speed work on flat ground great we have paces that you can like target in the in the general vicinity of at least if you're going to do it on trails with all the ups and downs then you're not going to get those paces necessarily but you will have a good experience of what the effort should feel like and this will give us a good direction of speed work and from there on out you just get like a vague direction of programming 
And I know some people who like plan pretty much to the, to the day, an entire like three to six months or whatever. Um, I don't do that. I personally like never had someone string together three perfect weeks of training, um, maybe a couple times, but really rare, much less like a perfect six months of training. I don't think it happens. So we always were making adjustments. So I like, and then those adjustments ripple out over time, right? So if we have these tweaks that need to be made here, and then we like that adjust this week, and it just pushes everything down the line. Also, people sign up for, you know, um, touch-up races as you go through the process and you see how you're feeling. Trips get scheduled, all this stuff. So I try to program two weeks out with the expectation that I'm making adjustments as needed. I get this general structure, um, and I'll like make some notes in training peaks or like put it on this, like a little whiteboard I have just off camera here. But for the most part, we're the like detailed work we're hitting week to week and then making tweaks day to day. Depending on their job and family situation, like those just adjustments might happen a lot. Like I have some people who with like five kids and work night shift and everything, and like they have to pick up an extra shift and that leads to quite a bit of tweaking as we go through, right? But of the general structure, like these four weeks, we'll be targeting VO2max. And yes, for the record, like I know that depending on the athlete and your history, that what we often call like VO2max workouts might have very little to do with actually improving your VO2max. It might be a lot more about like neuro neuromuscular drive and all this stuff, but we have to call it something and that serves the purpose. So we can talk about that another time. Anyway, so we'll talk about like, I will have a truck structure of like, for these four weeks, we're gonna be working through VO2 max. And like the next four to six weeks will be typically some kind of critical speed work and with like accessory work of lactate and, and like one VO2 max booster in that month. The next four to six weeks will be highly lactate centric with a secondary focus on building like more volume and specifically in the long runs. And for newer people, I would aim for more like a big long run on Saturday or some back to backs. Whereas for more experienced runners, we might do something like two a days, um, like two hours in the morning and two hours at night, because you don't really need that experience of being out there that long. You probably have your nutrition a little more dialed in so we can get more of the pure training benefit that you get from a double. Anyway, um, and then once we get like those, like I'll try to fit in a big training camp, um, a la like CTS style, and this is where we shove a ton of volume in two to three days. And this depends on you and your schedule. Some people just can't really make that happen, but I mean, sometimes if you're running a 50 miler, then we'll try to put a 50K there. We just get this big like race stimulus uh, close to the race, but that'll be like four to six weeks out. And then we'll try to do one final block really focused on overall volume, um, race practice, dialing hydration, nutrition, et cetera. And then some fine in there, I'm gonna send you a little spreadsheet that I'm actually gonna just give to this whole group at some point. That's like things not to forget <laughs> on your race day. Um, it's like a packing list basically. And we can dial that in. So that is like my general structure. And the basic idea, um, you're trying to start from like less race specific and move towards more race specific. That's why we're starting with this speedier stuff. 
and moving more towards the big volume, longer distance runs because this is, I tend to train more ultra athletes. So that's what we're working for. And if we're working for some like tune-up races, we're going to try and have the races co coincide with your training block. So if we want to run a 50 miler, we might do like a half marathon in the mountains tune-up to incentivize and support all the VO2 max training and critical speed work because that tends to be your limiters there. Right? So that's kind of how we would structure throughout the time. And you never really want to give up any training stimulus completely. So just like you're trying to build a little bit of um, slow, low and slow volume through this entire time, because you don't really want to lose that endurance capacity, even as you push a lot of the speed work, you want to occasionally touch, uh, tap into or touch some of these other things as well. So if you build a VO2 max, your weekend run might have like a push at your 10K pace. If you're working a little more on lactate once in that month, we might do like five by three minute hills to stimulate VO2 max so we don't see too much drop off there, be it in the actual VO2 max or in your ability to carry that like neuromuscular power for that period of time. But we constantly want to be, even though we're changing the like basic focus of each block, want to be constantly tapping the other blocks so that we're not losing too much of anything as we go through this process. Other stuff that we'd hit would be like, if possible, I would target a like moderate intensity downhill workout about a month out from the race. You don't really need a ton of downhill volume to build the legs for downhill, but especially if you're running a mountainous race, if we can get a pretty decent stimulus, so like you're racing it, run, like push the downhills, take the uphills easy, that kind of workout. And that will provide a bunch of muscular support. And that seems to have carryover for anywhere from like three to six weeks or whatever. So we can get one big stimulus about a month out from race day, and then a couple smaller stimuluses as we stimuli, whatever, as we get closer to the actual race, and that will give you that leg support for those downhills. If you don't have access to hills, we can gear strength training in a way that would do that as well. I would also hit one or two sweat tests um, at different temperatures, so you can dial in your hydration, because especially for some of these longer races, especially if you're in the desert, like you might see big temperature swings, so I definitely want to get one uh, close to your race so that we have something pretty directly applicable. I also would like to get one a little farther out so that if we're seeing a temperature swing from like 40 to 80, right, or 60 to 100 if you're doing it in Arizona, then we have a couple different sweat rates that we can use and target. As far as strength work, I adjust that like every one to two months, and it depends on run programming. So I train runners. Um, Y'all are probably runners if you're watching me rant about VO2 max training for this long. And we want to make running the primary focus. That said, strength work is important. And I think it's probably underappreciated in the sport by many people. And I think it is key for injury prevention and strength and all sorts of stuff, right? Especially if you have not been a high-level runner from the age of your preteen teen years, then you're almost certainly going to have some like movement stuff that we want to work on. So 
I would usually pair something like our VO2 max intervals with like low weight, high rep strength. And we'd really be focusing on like movement patterns and muscle connection and getting familiar with our, our strength movements and finding the muscles you're trying to target. And that is because that is not that intense and VO2 max work is really intense. So we want a low intensity strength adaptation while we target a much higher intensity um, cardiovascular adaptation because we don't want to do too much to the central nervous system at any one time. I would also pair at least like the first half, depending on your thing, the first half of your critical speed intervals with a higher weight, lower rep strength work. And we would go into this knowing that your central nervous system is going to take a bit of a beating for about three weeks. And then we'd go into a deload so you can actually recover. But we're going to push a little bit of speed, but volume of running is going to be lower here. So you're not going to see big weekend runs. We're not going to see a bunch of long runs. It's going to be a pretty steady volume, a little more intensity, and then the strength work on the like lower rep, higher weight range. And if you don't have access to like barbells and higher weights, we might get a little creative with your movements. So if anybody can do a like heel elevated one leg pistol squat, like you're probably going to be stimulating a lot of pure strength stuff there because most people I know can't do a ton of those. Now, after we get through that, we would switch up like once we get a little more into either the second half of like critical speed or into lactate or whatever, because those two are very close together. Once we're starting to stimulate lactate, we would do a little more on the like rotational strength, stability and muscle gain. And then we'd move a little more into explosive training. And this is because like your lactate block's actually pretty long because it's really important for your race. You're going to produce a lot of lactate. You want to be able to use that as fuel. Lactic acid is a lie. So we're going to, we want to be able to use that lactate as fuel effectively and learn to clear the hydrogen out of your body so that you don't get overly fatigued on race day. So it's going to be a bit of a longer block, usually six to eight weeks if we have six months to work with. And this is where we pair some more of that like training work. And then when I said explosive training, that means plyos, but done the way they're supposed to. So this is not how many box jumps can you do badly in a minute like you'll often see if you go to a gym. This is more like, hey, let's do 10 to 20 drop jumps where you step off a six or 12 inch box and jump up to like a 12 or 18 inch box trying to pretend the floor is lava and this works on reactive strength because reactive plyometric strength is really important for ultra runners like every time you take a step and it kind of goes incorrectly we need to be able to strength our way out of that or else you're probably going to either go down or get injured so these things matter then we do this would be about the time like camp hits ideally do this big long stimulus, you'd have a deload week. And then strength training after that. Depends on you and your schedule. Kind of two options here. Be a little more of the like higher rep muscle pump training. So be like 15 to 20 reps, which is fine. Or even better, if you can lift daily or we can figure out some body weight movements that'll work for you daily, we do exercise snacks of like two to three sets of one to two exercises. And that could be something as simple as push-ups. If push-ups are hard for you, pull-ups usually do a really good job when it comes to working your back. Your back is very important if you want to do th use things like poles or not have bad posture and like collapse your lungs a little bit as you're trying to run. Um, and then we would pair those like 
heavier leg days so that they're not right next to your workouts and long runs. Now, for the record, like I also fully cut strength work a couple times per cycle, like specifically in the week or two before camp and the week or two before races. And all of that was like the ideal. This is how it is like laid out in my head before life happens. All of this is adjustable depending on like infinite factors. One of them is how far are you from your A race? The closer of the you are, like the less of this you do. Um, how many races you have. The more you have, the less of some of the stuff you're going to do because we're going to be in this like, I realize it's a B race, but you still want to taper a little bit. Like you don't want to go walk it, right? You want to have a decent race and have a good time. I also care about a few other things like what equipment you have. And as I said, it's not that you can't get strong with body weight work, but we might have to get a little creative. And at this point in my life, it's hard for me to get a proper, proper like central nervous system stimulus on my glutes and hamstrings without something like a heavy barbell, but we can, it just gets a little difficult when trying to find angles, right? We have to work towards something like a Nordic hamstring curl. Now, you can also look at what terrain you have. This is going to matter a lot. If you're running a big mountainous race and you don't live near any mountains, we either need to get you on a treadmill, find some stairs, or double down on some of the strength work so that you have that ability to drive uphill. I actually just released a video on Instagram today about a front foot elevated Bulgarian split squat. That is a great strength or strength movement to help you find that glute, tri glute drive to get up steeper hills. So we might need to double down on something like that if you don't have the elevation to train on. And then, of course, what else is going on in your life? If you have five kids, if you work night shift, if you work 80-hour weeks, if you work these like rotating nurse cycles, I train a couple nurses, and all of that is going to make following a standardized training plan really difficult, and we're going to need to make some adjustments. And then finally, one thing that I'm starting to prioritize a lot more is mobility work. I've started doing that already, but it's something I found like is going to be even more needed. And this should be a big focus for a lot of trail runners. And to be clear, mobility and flexibility are not the same. Mobility is, or sorry, flexibility is your range of motion. Mobility is your control over said range of motion. As trail runners, we're often put in weird positions, right? Like jumping on or off rocks, suddenly stepping in holes, like tripping on roots. And if you have control over a bigger range of motion, you are less likely to get injured. Like, let's look at my shoulder. So if I can actively pull it back this far, I'll use my other hand, I can shove it back farther than that. But if I were to load it that far back, I'm actually going to end up tearing my rotator cuff. And that is because I don't actually have a ton of strength control that far back. And we can see that in most of our joints. You will often have a lot more flexibility than you'll have mobility. And the more that we can gain control over that bigger range of motion, the less likely you are to get injured. This is one of the reasons I am a fan of full range of motion training, at least as full as you can control. It doesn't mean if you're doing a heavy squat that you need to drop all the way down to the bottom, but we do want to try to increase your range um, so that you can control that entire range because you will only have strength in the ranges you train, at least to some degree. Anyway, as I said, I know all of that was a lot. I'm honestly sure I'm missing something. Um, we didn't even mention like 
food and electrolytes and hydration. Like we talked a little bit about, about it, but for some people, it's an even bigger conversation. Um, yeah, a lot of this gets dialed in over time and it can be a lot. This is one of the reasons why for, at least for me, I like give people full access. Like you can text me anytime. I will get back to you usually fairly quickly. My phone is always on me for better or worse in this day and age. And whenever people want to set up a call, I set up a call. And this is multi-purposed, right? So I used to do weekly calls with online coaching people. And that didn't work for a wide range of reasons. So if we look at... Um, Earlier in your training cycle, you're probably going to need more calls because we're getting going and we're trying to figure it out. And then for about a month in the middle, you might not need to talk to me at all. You're in a rhythm. We don't need to do much of anything. You figured it out. Your training peaks look fine. We text occasionally and things are okay. Um, so having this weekly call didn't make a lot of sense. So now if you need me, you just text me and we chat. It's fine. Um, that's kind of how I work. Part of that's also because I'm really neurotic. So I would like to know that you know that you can contact me. Um, that way if something's wrong, if something is problematic, like you message me and we fix it, I don't really feel like my time is, you know, untouchable, honestly. I really care about people I train, so I just make it available. So if you need to talk to me, we talk. That's a lot of how I do, right? Um, and that is most of my coaching process. Um, as many touch points as you need, and then a lot of stuff that I just try to juggle in my head so that you can hit your race as well as you can. And all of this starts with a phone call. If you've ever asked me about coaching, you'll probably know that like my first step is to speak with you on the phone. And this is there's a couple reasons for this. Like one, I want to know what it's like to talk to you, and you should probably want to know what it's like to talk to me. As I said, like I'm a fairly high touch point person. Um, I also know I'm not a good fit for everybody and not everybody's not a good fit for me. And if you hate talking to me, then you're not going to reach out when you need me. Um, and then again, the aforementioned neuroticism and everything just is going to flare. So we should make sure we can actually get along for 20 minutes at a time so that I can coach you effectively. Um, there's a few things you're looking for in coaching, and at least moderately liking your coach should probably be one of them. Um, and then, oh yeah, and like we can usually figure that out on a 20 to 30 minute phone call. Um, also, this is a bit of a weeding out function because like I need people to realize that coaching is not magic. And if you can't book a 20 to 30 minute phone call, like you're probably not going to do well with coaching, at least my version of it. It is not like you get a coach and then suddenly you become a great runner or whatever your goals are. A coach is not a wizard. Uh, I don't really care how good the coach is. The success of a coach, whatever the hell we use to define that, is still dependent on the person's willingness to do the work. And... The coach should guide you towards the right work for you and your needs because everything, every person needs something subtly different. They should make that accessible. So like, this is one of the reasons I don't have a, hey, I only make one adjustment a week system because I've worked really messed up jobs. Uh, I work night shift, I work 80 hour weeks. So 
sometimes things come up and you need to make an adjustment. So that's what I'm there for. Then the coach should also explain why you're doing the work. Because one, you should understand why you're doing what you're doing. It will help you be more willing to do it. It also helps you do it better. Um, if we talk about speed work and why we're doing this, and then you like you can run a six-minute mile and you run all of your VO2 intervals at an eight-minute mile pace, then we're clearly missing something there, and we need to talk about it. It also helps you replicate it in the future when you decide you don't want to coach anymore. I kind of assume that not everybody's going to come back to me every year because they don't. It doesn't happen. Um, so we need to like make sure that you're good in the long term and you're not like beholden to somebody. You should understand your training. I'm not saying you need to have like a full kinesiology degree by the end of your coaching cycle, but you should at least be like, oh, I did this about this time last year and I had a race about this time last year, so maybe we should do something like this this time last year. Now, the coach should also make sure things like fit your schedule. As I said, I had a really busy schedule for a very long time, and you need to, that needs to work. All coach does all of that stuff, right? But we're still not wizards. And you still have to be the one to get your shoes on and get out the door. You still have to be the one to lift the weights, and you still have to be the one to like eat the right foods to support your goals and stay hydrated and do all this stuff. Training takes work. And while you should enjoy most of it, some of it is going to be hard and a little bit of it is going to be boring and it's work and you have to be involved in the process. And if someone's not really willing to reach out or like hop on a phone with me, then I'm, I know for a fact I'm not the person for you. So if you, some people will say like, hey, what should I do to get ready for my 100 miler this year? And after a couple of messages and I ask them to get on the phone, like, they will ghost me, and that is fine. Uh, it's usually a pretty good sign that that wasn't going to be a good fit. Um, because some of this, is, and then some of the like phone call thing is just like, it is tedious to do a coaching consult with your thumbs, which is why in releasing this, I'm offering a free one, because I realize, again, a lot of information. Let's just chat for a little bit and dial it in. So... I also feel like this pushes a little more towards the dedicated because I think that some people ask about coaching and then they're not really sure if they want it. And I think some people think that by hopping on the phone with a coach that they're going to pull some fancy Jedi mind tricks and like hard sell them into giving me money. And I'll tell you right now, that is not what I do. Uh, I know people who do that. I've seen people do that. When I worked at a large fitness chain, I had someone do that for me. I did not like it, for the record. And hell, early in my career, I even tried that a couple times. And what I've learned is whenever you try to like hard sell and convince and cajole someone into coaching, then training almost always becomes a burden. So I just don't do it. I find, like, if you want it, what I offer, and I'm happy to do it, then great. So the hard sell is not my style. I want to coach people who want to be coached. And I don't really care if you're training for a hundred miler or you're going through rehab and need enough leg strength to like actually want to walk again without pain. I've trained both of those ends of the demographic. And I just want to train someone who wants to be there. If my coaching fits your skill sets and your if my skill set fits your needs, then I want to help. So 
those who you cajole into that aren't going to be there, so I just don't do it, right? I spend 0% of my time chasing people down. I don't send these, like, endless follow-ups that other people do that I have been on the other end of and I personally find really tedious, so I just don't do it. So if you like the results I've gotten for others and you drive my weird, like, neuro-spicy mixture of ADHD and autistic personality and want appreciate the level of detail I put into coaching, then I'd love to help you. But you have to be an active participant in the process. I was actually listening to a podcast today by a guy named Mike Milner, and I've definitely mentioned him before. He he made an analogy I really like. And he tends to do a lot more like the fat loss work, um, but he's been coaching for a long time, and I've learned a lot from him. And in fact, when people come to me for fat loss, I'll often just like push them towards Mike because he's better at it than me. And... Anyway, he said that a lot of people don't seem to realize that you have to do work when we get into coaching. doesn't matter how much you tell them beforehand, kind of have this mentality of like, I paid for this, so I should get the results. And instead of actually, it's actually like buying something on Amazon. If you buy a light bulb on Amazon and you just leave it in the box or on your front doorstep and didn't do anything with it and didn't even take it inside, then would you be pissed that your room is still dark? Probably not. Um, but we do this kind of thing with coaching all the time where people buy coaching then they don't actually do anything with the coaching they've received. They don't target the right paces. They don't fuel how you ask. They don't do the strength work. They don't do any of it. And further, they don't reach out to you with problems that they're having. Coaching is information. It's direction. It's guidance. It's not wizardry. It's not performance and a payment. Like, this is why I start with a phone call and it's just a weeding out function and see if we're a good fit for each other. So if you liked everything I talked about in that process or kind of want to see what it would be, I'm giving away a free coaching consultation. And if you want that, again, drop a comment or if you're listening to this as a podcast, take a note, like text me at 505-702-6192. Do not call me. I will get, it gets so much, I get so much spam. Like I just won't answer. Um, but text me with your name and everything and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Love to help. Love to chat with you. Again, hard sales, not my style. So we'll just chat for as long as you want about all of your training things. So happy, very early Father's Day. I know this is like a week and a half early, but that is why I'm doing this. And I hope you have a great rest of your night. I will release this as a podcast shortly. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to the Trail and Ultra Running Training Podcast. Honestly, I'm still surprised and honored that anybody wants to hear what I have to say, so thank you. To be clear, not a doctor, nor a registered dietitian, or any other kind of medical professional. I'm a personal trainer, a nutrition coach, and a running coach, and I have a passion for training trail runners. You should always speak with a qualified medical professional before making any changes to your training or nutrition program. If you enjoyed the podcast or found it helpful, please take a second to leave a rating or review. I'd really appreciate it or you could just share it with someone for whom you think it might be helpful. I make these kinds of things in order to provide more quality, free resources to people, so the more people who hear it, the better. If you want more of this information, please head to the Trail and Ultra Running Training group on Facebook, where we discuss all aspects of training, so you can have more fun doing the sport that you love. Thank you again for listening.